You're listening to Raven Debriefs, the show that jaywalks across the intersection of Indigenous and common law. Today, we're featuring a special guest episode by Louise Romay, recorded during the UN Biodiversity Conference in Montreal this past winter. This episode features the voices of Melody Lapine, Tori Kress, Daniel Tsele, and Paul Belanger all recorded at a press conference organized by Environmental Defence Canada and Keepers of the Water. The more than human voices you'll hear are the Athabasca River and various animal recordings from Wood Buffalo National Park, red-winged blackbird, Wilson snipe, warbling vireo, bald eagle, western meadowlark, common loon, savanna sparrow, and sandhill crane. Sit back, pour yourself some tea, and enjoy this guest episode from Circle of Voices and Louise Romain. In northern Alberta, where the boreal forest once stood, we now find mining sites extracting bitumen, a thick and sticky form of crude oil. This hydrocarbon comes from a geological formation called the tar sands, or oil sites, a heavy mixture made of sand, clay, water, and bitumen. This highly destructive industry is known to be one of the world's largest industrial projects, responsible for huge carbon emissions and resulting in the likely contamination of air, water and soil. Active since the 1960s, it uses three to four barrels of fresh water per barrel of oil. That's three times more than conventional oil and it releases wastewater into tailings ponds. This wastewater is composed of residual industrial waste left over from the extraction process. Basically a toxic soup. The tailings ponds are so big that they cover an area the size of Washington DC and can actually be seen from space. There is now over a trillion litres of these toxic tailings and some of them have started to leak into the Athabasca River. My name is Melody Lapine and I'm a member of the Miccosukee First Nation directly downstream of the Athabasca oil sands. My title is the Director for Government and Industry Relations. So for the last two decades, I've been working with industry and with government, managing all of the consultation and engagement. My region represents the highest concentration of dams with a high consequence of failure rating in Alberta. The legacy operators, those that have been there for several decades, say they've reached holding capacity. Therefore, they are pushing for authorized authorization for the release of these traded tailings effluent into the Athabasca River, which again is upstream from my community. I just want to describe my community and some of the concerns that have been voiced since, I would say, before 2003, our first intervention. 
health concerns, high rates of autoimmune diseases and high rates of cancer, particularly one in particular which my community faces is bile duct cancer. So never has there been a baseline health study to examine what is changing the health of my community. A large risk that is that the operators have a poor plan for this reclamation of tailings as they leave the region. What terrifies me and the community is that Alberta does not have enough money. In fact, less than 3% set aside in their mine financial security program to ensure there is enough to clean up this toxic mess. These uncertainties have existed for decades. Now somehow it is becoming our problem to deal with. Melody spoke here at a press conference at the latest United Nations Biodiversity Conference, COP15, last December in Teochake, Montreal. The press conference was organized by Environmental Defense Canada and Keepers of the Water. Also featured in the panel were Tori Kress, Danielle Tesselli, and Paul Belanger, which you will all hear from in this episode. So the current 200 square kilometers of tailings ponds, or, or lakes, are a mixture of residual bitumen, heavy metals, solvents, organic acids. So this has turned out to be a very difficult material to treat by industry. And currently they're not allowed to discharge any of these tailings materials into the Athabasca watershed. This is Paul Belanger a former oil sands worker who lives in the Athabasca watershed, Treaty 8, and now works as the science lead for Keepers of the Water. The latest information we have from industry and their test pilot project shows a process that is still not feasible or acceptable. They're, they've shared their results and the results show at least three heavy metals at high levels still after treatment high level of salts, toxic acids, and finally, because of leftover ammonia in the treated material, there's algae and uh, no oxygen. So it'd be frightening to, for, to consider that discharge into the river. And there are many examples of, of ongoing impacts on species in the region. Just here's just a couple. The local indigenous people have reported and caught fish with tumors, Moose are showing spots and tumors. Air pollution toxic and toxic dust have been documented by many, many scientists. Over the last decade, concerns have been raised over the leakage of harmful pollutants from the tailings ponds into groundwater. The Commission for Environmental Cooperation prohibits the release of any kind of toxic substance into fish-bearing waters. In order to legalize the release of treated tailings into the Athabasca River, the provincial and federal governments are working together with industry to introduce regulations under Canada's Federal Fisheries Act. But what exactly is at stake here? Good morning, everyone. I'm Daniel Teselli. I'm Denny. My nation is Kashiwatini, and I'm from Fort Good Hope, which is a small Arctic community on the shores of the Mackenzie River. I used to work as a lawyer, but currently I work as chief negotiator for my nation on our self-determination issues. 
and I also work for Keepers of the Water as their Northwest Territories Outreach Manager. Canada is absolutely required to obtain the free prior and informed consent of all impacted Indigenous nations before enacting Fisheries Act regulations that would legalize the release of toxic tailings into the largest watershed in Canada and the most intact large-scale ecosystem on the continent. This ecosystem is the broader Mackenzie River Basin. This is a watershed that contains the longest river in Canada and covers one-fifth of the landmass of Canada. It's home to massive amounts of biodiversity and pristine areas, areas of boreal forest. It is the Arctic Amazon and its tributaries, the headwaters of this watershed, includes the Athabasca River, where this proposed dumping of treated tailings would occur. broader Mackenzie River Basin is one of the major flyways for migratory waterfowl and that area of the Peath Asabasca Delta is is one of the key stopping points that hundreds of thousands of migratory waterfowl use each year on their migrations. Um, it's home to to key species like whooping crane Wood Bluff Buffalo National Park is home to bison species and is one of the last places where on the continent where wolves and bison have their natural historic predator-prey relationship still intact. contaminants that enter into the Athabasca River ultimately make their way through this entire massive watershed and ultimately end up at the Arctic Ocean because that's where the water goes. And as you go north from kind of the Great Slave Lake area down the, the big river, the Mackenzie River, that land, that, that land that we call Denende, Dene land, is largely untouched. It is, it is pristine, it's pristine land. And that river is is that river is like our highway. It's a it's a cultural and, and kind of spiritual mainstay for Dene people all over the place. But it's also it's also a major kind of ecological cornerstone for a lot of species. There's at least 53 different fish species that live in that watershed, and there's so many other animals that rely on that water. And that that entire ecosystem that is kind of based around that, that river and that river valley 
is one of the largest, but also one of the last intact, pristine ecosystems on the planet. My name is Tori Kress. I am the communications manager with Keepers of the Water. Keepers of the Water is a First Nations, Métis, Inuit, environmental groups, concerned citizens, and communities working together for protection of water, air, land, and all living things within the Arctic Ocean drainage basin. We're here to raise our voices during these international conversations on biodiversity. Keepers of the Water is an indigenous women's-led organization. Our teachings help us understand the connection women have with water. No matter who you are, each of us is born from the water before we ever breathe our first breath of air. We want to remind the world that the government and industry in the settler state of Canada do not have free, prior, informed consent from indigenous peoples to create Fisheries Act regulations that will allow for the dumping of toxic tailings into the Athabasca River. It is our position that there is absolutely no release of so-called treated tailings into the watershed. We feel that if water can be cleaned for release, then it should be good enough to be reused within mining practices. There has been enough water wasted in these mining practices that have created vast lakes of wastewater you can actually see from outer space. Water knows no man-made boundaries. Canada now has a legal obligation, and this is a legal requirement under domestic law, to obtain the free, prior, and informed consent of Indigenous nations that would be impacted by this proposed release of treated tailings. And this is because in June of 2021, Canada's federal government enacted its United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act. In that legislation at Section 5, the Government of Canada is required to work with Indigenous peoples to ensure that the laws of Canada are consistent with that UN declaration. Canada's Fisheries Act, under which these proposed regulations would be introduced, is clearly a law of Canada and must be made consistent with that declaration. There's many relevant things in that declaration, but of particular significance are two articles. The first of those is Article 29, which requires states to ensure that no storage or disposal of hazardous materials takes place on the lands or territories of Indigenous peoples without their free, prior, and informed consent. The second relevant article is Article 32, and that requires states to work with Indigenous peoples to obtain their free, prior, and informed consent before approving any project affecting their lands or territories or other resources particularly in connection with the development, utilization, or exploitation of water. In relation to Article 29 on disposing hazardous waste on Indigenous territories, 
The former UN Rapporteur on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, S. James Anea, has said that the state is under an obligation to obtain the consent of the Indigenous peoples concerned. In relation to Article 32, the International Law Association's Rights of Indigenous Peoples Committee has said that in cases of large-scale development or investment projects that would have a major impact on Indigenous peoples' territories, consent is necessary. So experts on international human rights law and the rights of Indigenous peoples agree that in cases like this, where the proposed action carries a risk of severe impacts to the territories, waters, and associated rights of Indigenous peoples, that consent is mandatory. A good faith application of that doctrine would consider the potential impacts to the rights of Indigenous peoples throughout the entire watershed. So it would consider the impacts right from the source of that pollution in Alberta to the coast of the Arctic Ocean, where the Mackenzie River empties into. And this is why the Denny Nation addressed this issue of treated tailings release at its National Assembly last summer. So Denny Nation is a political organization that advocates on behalf of over 30 Arctic and subarctic Denny Nations and communities. And the chiefs and intendants at the last assembly considered this issue of treated tailings released and passed a resolution that directly opposes the release of treated tar sands tailings into the Mackenzie River Basin and that also calls on Canada to obtain the free prior and informed consent of all downstream Dene before proceeding with these proposed Fisheries Act regulations. After the press conference, I had a more in-depth interview with Danielle. He shared some thoughts on what people can do to show up in solidarity, whether they work on law and policy or are part of civil society. He calls out Canadians on the need to keep their governments accountable for their own laws and respect Indigenous self-determination and sovereignty. Canadian law has historically largely been there to facilitate colonialism and the extraction of hydrocarbons and minerals from stolen indigenous land. So reliance on just domestic law is not, um, is not sufficient to actually protect our rights or our people or protect the land. And I think there's an obligation on the legal community and people who do work on law and policy to really, really clearly tell Canada and the broader public, like all the people who consider themselves Canadian, tell them that their nation now has an obligation to implement free prior and informed consent in any kind of federal decision uh, in a way where consent is mandatory, where the government of Canada is under a legal requirement to get the consent of Indigenous people before it does anything or approves anything that would have a serious impact on rights. I think there's a lot of work for all the people who don't focus on law and policy to to actually be challenging that, that colonial narrative and taking other steps and engaging in other actions that will directly challenge power because I think that is, that is really what forces a change and that's really what asserts our rights and protects the land is people getting out there and doing the work regardless of what Canadian domestic or, or, or what international law says. And I would like people to understand that and be able to, to 
to check their state, check their nation. If, if they're Canadian, Canada's their nation and they need to keep them in check. And if Canada says that it comes here and does all this talk about indigenous peoples and rights and blah, blah, blah. But when the rubber hits the road, it is like that talk is misleading because they're not actually implementing that declaration. They're not taking the lead from indigenous people when it comes to issues that impact our land that we have a relationship with. And I think Canadians need to be calling them out on that. If there ends up being any type of regulation, we still need to understand how that regulation will impact our rights, our culture, our way of life and our health. And so it's important to, for us to make informed decisions to reach free prior informed consent. And so there are not a lot of health studies. There are no studies looking at what the potential health impacts are and what the impacts will be to our culture, way of life and rights. Until we have all of that information, it is really impossible for us to decide and support any type of regulation. Towards the end of the press conference, Tori Crest shared a quote from Jean Longcourt, co-chair of Keepers of the Water. Jean travels all around the country to raise awareness on water issues and what's happening in her community. She lives in Fort McKay, just down the street from the toxic tailings, in the traditional land of her mother, where just a few generations ago, they would go pick berries and hunt moose. Everything has changed since then. On our return home, 10 minutes before we get home, we have to pass three tailings ponds. We pass Suncor, and then you feel the stench. You smell the stench. It affects your throat. Your eyes are burning. Some people call it the smell of money. It takes about, it takes about close to 10 minutes to get from one end of the tailings pond to the other end, driving at 100 kilometers an hour. So now they want to poison our waters further by dumping all of these toxins into the Athabasca River. Athabasca River flows right by my house. Every morning I get up, I open my door, there's the Athabasca River. That's my strength. That's what keeps me going. That was Jean Longcourt, co-chair for Keepers of the Water. We raise our hands to Melody Lapine, Tori Cress, Daniel Tselei, and Paul Belanger for sharing their wisdom and teaching. Fora, like UN summits, can be structured in very colonial ways. We're grateful to Louise Romain for weaving a tapestry of sound, grounding Indigenous teachings in birdsong, the voices of the river, and the breath of the wind. Music was by Halizna CCO, Soft and Furious, and Loyalty Freak, through the Free Music Archive. Our theme music is by Luke Wallace. 
You can hear more of Louise's work on her podcasts, Our Voices on Climate Change. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and please, if you like what you heard, pass it on. Subscribe, share, and review Raven Debriefs. I'm Andrea Palferman. Take care and go well.